Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 148, week 148, volume 148, number fucking 148. Hey, going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Brian of the Browning, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's start off with a bit of feedback, a bit of questions, a bit of what's been going on. Heard from a lot of people this week saying that they are thankful for the diversity in the styles of our guests. Well, I'm glad you guys enjoy it. We're not going to just focus on one style. There's going to be every kind of style as long as it's guitar-driven music. Stoked, of course, that you enjoy it. And hopefully you're not only hearing from bands you know, but they're bands that you're also discovering. Apart from that, thank you to everyone that's tuning in. Help us out with shares on your social medias. So if you like the show or you like the episode, spread it around. Tell people on your Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All those little bits of sharing and posting helps the show grow and helps it get out to more listeners. Enough of the ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Brian of the Browning. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So for those unaware, the Browning, who are they? What do they do? Well, they're a band that's had two EPs and four albums. They're a band that play breakdown metalcore mixed with dance music. Yes, yes, it sounds weird, but it fucking works. Brian joined the band around 2015 and he's been a part of two albums. The conversation with Brian is a really exciting, interesting one. Brian not only is in the Browning, but he's also been in Enterprise Earth, but he also was a merch man for many bands. Really in-depth, really exciting, really entertaining. I hope you enjoy this conversation. That chat with Brian is coming up now. So everyone gets kind of the same question to start off with, and that's, not necessarily a heavy band, but do you remember a band that you discovered as a young at a young age that you became obsessed with, and you don't know why, but they became your thing as an introduction to music? Um. Well, there's definitely like a couple different sort of like gateways. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough that my first real exposure to like music as a whole was like my whole family did musical theater, mm-hmm. like my brother, what, you know, acted in like Footloose and Bye Bye Birdie and stuff like that. Um, and my sister, uh, like sang, you know, in the chorus for high school and stuff like that. So like most of the time it was like driving around listening to show tunes with my parents and stuff like that. <laughs> Those are like the first, uh, the first like songs, um, that I remember. Uh, but then it was really, um, just like, I, I think the first time that I was obsessed with something was probably like the first time that I saw the, the falling away from me music video, the corn music video. Mm on MTV at like, I don't know, it was like three in the morning or something. It was on Headbangers Ball where, you know, I wasn't supposed to be up watching it. 
And I was just like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) So music's obviously part of the household. You know, as you said, you know, you're kind of growing up in an environment where music is in, in existence. Were there people playing instruments around you? Because, you know, you can slap at the bass, you can do a riff or two with a guitar. So where was your instrumental kind of influence growing up coming from? Um, yeah, really it was. So it's funny now because my sister still sings, but no one else in my family like plays an instrument anymore or anything. But it was like, I'm the, I'm the youngest of four siblings. Um, and my oldest brother and my sister both had gotten like guitars and started taking guitar lessons, but they just kind of never like, you know, they went to college and just grew out of it like it wasn't something that they were super passionate about um but there was always guitars around the house for that reason and i was always super curious about them um but in i was in like the marching band in like fourth grade as well i played the snare drum Mm. so i think the snare drum was probably the first thing that i ever like because i i know that my specifically my mom like noticed that i you know i have attention deficit disorder so i like can't stop tapping on things and stuff like that so she was like uh we should teach you how to play the drums (laughs) and then you know the guitar and stuff is around the house and you know do you just are you a self-taught musician or did you start out doing a bit of experimenting and then got lessons like where did you go with that path yeah it was really like I specifically remember trying to like imagine, you know, how you would play the guitar other than just like strumming the strings and stuff like that. Um, But my sister and my brother both went to this place that was like right up, um, right up the, you know, probably like a kilometer away um, from our house. There was just a place called the music school and, uh, this guy, John Ciciora, who is, I think he, even in, you know, like pandemic times is still teaching online. Um, I actually saw him as recently as last year, but he was my guitar teacher for, um, probably like, I don't know, I would say like around three years or something like that, maybe a little longer. Um, and it's funny because I always think about today, how much I could benefit from, you know, having a half hour lesson with him every week to back in the day, I probably wasn't, you know, I was more focused on like what Marilyn Manson riffs I could learn how to play as opposed to learning like music theory or like technical things about the guitar. He's great. And uh, he basically showed me a lot of like where to go uh and then it was sort of like on me to go there and i didn't always um but yeah i'm super uh super grateful for him and just lucky that there were you know guitars sitting around in the like in the house um and my one of my other brothers took piano but i've like i can very barely play the piano so i don't really mess around outside of my wheelhouse (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you've mentioned uh, musical taste-wise, you know, you mentioned Manson in there and you mentioned earlier Korn. So, obviously, 
you're a bit of a new metal kid, you know, was that a major, was that a major draw card and influence on your taste um, when you were very much at a, at that age? So it's, it's weird because it, it was, but I would actually say that it's probably more influential, like current day to me than it was back then. Cause I don't think I knew like what I was listening to. I just knew that I was like, this guy sounds upset about something and I'm upset about something. So we, <laughs> you know, this is great. Like, um, so it was, it was sort of that vibe. Um, but I, I think just the, you know, like new metal is inherently just so angsty um, that it really, you know, like resonated with me when I was younger. And then now growing up, like I have a tattoo of Wes Borland on my leg uh, from Limp Biscuit because like he's now one of my favorite guitar players in the world. But like back in the day, I don't know if I would have, you know, known of anything other than oh, this is, you know, this is break stuff. This is the song about breaking stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, the the, the Wes Borland influence also has come across in your later years in, in the browning, the bit of the face paint kind of uh, thing going on. Is that kind of like a tip of the hat to the man himself? Oh, yeah. I mean, I would. you could probably go as far to say is that it's literally just, you know, like a cheap ripoff. Um, and I, you know, I don't mean that in any sort of disparaging way towards myself, but it was, it was literally something where I loved the idea that it doesn't in Limp Biscuit, it never gets explained like why he looks like that. You know, he just sort of shows up and is like that. And that's exactly how I wanted it to be where, you know, even necessarily like people that had seen us before while I was in the band and stuff like that, like, you know, come and see a show and they're like, was he, was that guy always, you know, painted like that? Or (laughs) like, did that get explained in the storyline or what am I missing? Like, but yeah, Wes is literally like the reason that I, I did the face paint and the stage paint and the reason that I started like playing flying V's and stuff like that. Um, Cause I think that, I mean, as far as like icons from that era go, you know, he's just like, just it. <laughs> he is man. Like, but with the, with the, you wearing the paint, did anyone in the Browning at any stage look at you and like ask why you did it? Or was it literally like everyone just kind of thought, oh, he's just doing it for one night. And then it turned to like the 50th night in a row and everyone's <laughs> kind of going. So mm. like this it's a whole saga of, uh, just like, cause when I, when I joined the band, the band was very stringent about like how it should present itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just that, you know, we all made sure that we were, you know, wearing black on stage and, you know, like looked proper for what I don't, you know, I'm air quoting this, but like what a metal band should look like. <laughs> um, and we were just thinking about, in general, how it's like, okay, how, how can we up the production value of like this show? Um, and we had done a tour, like, uh, we had done a tour with mushroom head and they're like the, they run haunted houses like in their spare time. So they're the masters of like DIY production. 
Um, and I was just like, how can we bring some theatrics to this? And we were, you know, going into a new album cycle and everything. And I was just like, what if I, you know, paint my face and wear some contacts? Uh, and I'm, I'm literally looking at the promo right now because I have a, like a flyer on my wall. And funnily enough, like the promo that wound up getting used everywhere, uh, like where I have like the black and white cookie face, you know, mm. um, that it was literally taken like in the basement of the house that I'm in right now, <laughs> uh, like two days before we left for a tour because the label was like, we need promos. And we were like, we don't really have any right now. <laughs> so, um, but it, it was like going back to what you said, you know, asking if anyone was sort of like, uh, it, it started off as needing, you know, very like dark colors. And then I like one tour, I bought a pink guitar strap, you know, and that was sort of the like, entrance into you know absurdity uh and just being colorful on stage and standing out and it went from that to like i was wearing you know like a jean vest that bleach dyed and like pants that were bleach dyed uh and then we were getting ready to do you know another tour uh with mushroom head and i was like I'm just going to, you know, no one's going to look at me twice on this tour if I start painting my face. So I'm just going to give it like a trial run. Um, and it originally turned into like it turned from something that I was just doing on stage because I wanted to have fun to something that became like, you know, a very, a very fun form of expression for me. And especially as I got to like, you know, and the last, tour that we did was over a year ago at this point like in the the current state of the world but like towards the end of it you know i was wearing like a rainbow uh like pajama onesie on stage <laughs> <laughs> and like painting my face white and i have this pink and purple flying v guitar and stuff like that so it, it was there was definitely a full like caterpillar to butterfly <laughs> like stage of it I, I love it man because you know it it kind of in a way you know how you were saying previously before you came into the band or around the time you came in it was very stringent with appearances you know look this way wear black um i think it actually makes you stand out a bit more because if you're let's say you're in a magazine and you're just flipping through and you see there's you with weird contacts and face paint you go hang on and then you actually double look at it see the band name yeah it it makes you go back to it and be or even at the very least it'll be like you know do you remember that 40 minutes we watched that guy that was basically you know in like a dress and knee-high socks (laughs) like (laughs) play you know it's it very like it sticks in your mind and it uh it gave me a place on stage where uh, I knew that people weren't seeing like me, you know, Mm. they were seeing this character and that allowed me to sort of get lost in it to whereas, you know, they're not really, they're not seeing me, you know, Brian Moore drooling all over the stage. They're watching this crazy guy in contacts and face paint do it you know like so it gave me this sort of like thing to hide behind on just going 
as full tilt on stage as I could. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. Um, now, I want to go back, you know, we'll come back to more Browning um, later on, but let's go back to like, you know, early bands, you know, always do my homework and I noticed kind of like the first band-ish um, that you were in that I can find was the Gambian. Is that correct? Is that how you say it? Uh, the Cambian. Cambian. With a C. Yes. So um, so what's the story behind it, that? Was that a high school band? Um, and, you know, what was your journey with that band like? Um, so it was like explaining the backstory on it would take me probably a lifetime just because there's like I so I live in Chicago, um, but right next door to us is northwest Indiana and that's sort of like the scene that I wound up like coming up in. It wasn't so much like the Chicago music scene. It was the the Northwest Indiana scene. Um, and I was in this band uh, that I like made basically from like it was just me and my friend in our sophomore year of high school, like playing covers. Uh, and that went up until like probably I graduated high school or whatever the like year after it would have been. And then some friends from like a band that we had played with in Indiana um, had just like, and this, this was the Cambian, like had just lost a bunch of their members because there were these, these three brothers that always started bands and then they would just, leave the bands that they started and go join another band or like start a new, new band. Um, and that was exactly what happened with this. So they were like out a uh, guitar player and they had hit me up cause we played shows together. Uh, and it was something that I was originally just like filling, going to fill in for them as like a friend thing. And then it wound up being something that I did for, I don't probably like, three or four years um and like truly it was what what like taught me about like being in a band you know it taught me about like okay this is what the gear you need to like sound like a real band is and this is you know how like quote-unquote real bands act and stuff like this and how they carry themselves um and funnily enough like long after I, you know, I never like quit the band. I just started doing other things and they got like another guy. So there was never any fallout, uh, from it, but they actually did a, a tour. Uh, I don't, it might've been in 2019, I think, uh, where they were, you know, the opening spot on an Oceano tour, uh, which like to see them, you know, like having worked with them for so long to come up and, and do their own thing, uh, it was super cool to see. Um, but yeah, the Cambian was, you know, it started out of like a basement in Northwest Indiana and like we, we did some ridiculous stuff like playing shows four and five hours away in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, when I had work at like seven in the morning, the next morning <laughs> and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was something that I like went into like right out of like high school, first year of college, uh, or so. And it was just like my formative years of like figuring out 
playing shows and being in a tight band, you know, and like why you have to practice and stuff like that. It's important. Those those early bands are important and those lessons, like you said, were important for your future development. What were you doing um, coming out of high school work-wise? Because obviously you mentioned there, you know, you had a job and stuff and I know that um, later down the track, I think you quit your job to kind of sling merch for a while, which we'll get into. But what were you doing study-wise and work-wise during this period? Um, so I came out of high school and like, basically, um, I, I went to, and I, I don't know what the equivalent like would be, uh, in Australia or anywhere else, but I went to what's basically called community college, mm-hmm. um, which is like the first two years of a university, but, uh, it's all the, you know, like basically you can go there and save money and then go either, you know, go into a workforce uh, or go to a like a four year university already having the first two years done at this like uh, less expensive uh, school. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually went there and got a, a degree in sociology Um, which, you know, I've never used for work once in my life. Um, (laughs) but, and I was, uh, I was actually, and I don't drink alcohol, which is the funniest part of all of this, but I was working at my uncle's liquor store for like probably four years. Um, like in between, I started there right after, like right before I turned 18. And then that's the job that I quit to go on tour. Um, but it was just like, and I mean, like it was miserable there, which is part of what, you know, like I was like, Oh, I want to, I want to play music and like do things that are not this. Um, but it was too like convenient because I was working for my uncle. So anytime that I needed off to like play shows, I could get it. Mm. So it was like a tough, uh, like a tough call between like, oh man, this job sucks, but it's super nice because I can get off whenever I want to like go play shows. And I was playing in a corn cover band at that time also. So I was playing shows at like three in the morning in bars before I was even old enough to drink. Like (laughs) (laughs) that was honestly an absurd period of time in my life. Between going to school, working, playing Cambian shows in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, and like playing bar shows uh, for corn cover sets, um, it was like it was a chaotic period. But I finished my associate's degree in sociology, and at that point, I was basically like, I don't really want to go to a university right now. Like music is sort of what I want to do because school will always be there. Um, And so I just put everything possible into making that happen. (laughs) And and how was the family's reaction and, and your uncle's reaction as well, basically? Um, well, so it, the, like, the situation was originally I agreed to because I did a, I did a, my first tour ever in the end of like 2014. Um, and that I just did because 
like this band that I kind of knew like needed a van and I had a van. So I was like, Hey, if you let me come with you, you can use my van. Um, and so I did that and came back to work and everything. Cause that was only like, I don't, you know, 18 days or something like pretty, pretty short term. Uh, and then I got asked to do a tour with Oceano because Adam from Oceano, uh, had been in a band that was on that other tour. He was in a band called Demolisher at the time. Uh, and so he hit me up to do uh, merch for Oceano on like their next tour. And that was originally another like short thing. Um, but after I announced that I was doing it for Oceano, uh, the Browning, who I had become just like, casual friends with as like a fan at their shows and stuff like that uh like hit me up to do merch for a tour directly after that so it pretty much went from like hey it's february and i'll be back in march from like hey it's february and i'll be back at the end of may <laughs> and my uncle this is literally what he said he's like well you know i don't know if we're gonna have a job for you then and i was like Okay. <laughs> and that you know that was just sort of the the end of it and uh luckily, you know, and I I'm super appreciative of the way that like everything had worked out for me, but that was 2015 uh and I like left for that tour in the beginning or middle of February 2015 and I toured for 8 months that year. So uh I just, you know, put myself out there for anyone and with anyone because uh, that's what I wanted to do, you know, and I knew the only way that I was going to, like, be able to do it consistently was just to, you know, people have to, your application has to be in the pile to mm -hmm. get the job, you know, so I, I was just anytime, and this is how it worked out with Adam too, like the, the first Oceano tour. I was just like, if you guys need anything, you know, let me know, like no pressure or anything like that. But if something comes up and you guys need like a merch guy or whatever, just let me know. And I just did that with everyone. Uh, and eventually, you know, people need someone. <laughs> it's also it's it's something that I think listeners maybe sometimes forget about. They forget that. You know, when a band is on when a band is on tour, it's not just the band that needs to be on tour. There needs to be, you know, a sound guy if if convenient, if you can, um, someone who knows you that can do merch. You know, it's quite an essential, necessary job. And for you, you see, you've seen both sides of it. You know, you see um, from a band's perspective, but also from like a punter's perspective, because being behind a merch table must be a whole different ball game. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely, um, it definitely is. And honestly, the thing that I like the most that like I do on tour is like running lights, mm -hmm. um, because it's kind of the best of both worlds where I, you know, I get creatively satisfied in helping put on this, like this show that's going on. Um, but also it's not like, you know, it's not the make it or break it of being on tour and being like, Oh, we don't have enough money to 
exist today. Like, um, it's nice to be a crew member who has a guaranteed weekly rate and, you know, like being able to sort of bank on that stuff as to where on the creative, like on the band side of it, it's more like, running your small business, you know, and trying to make sure that it runs as smoothly as it can. Um, so I, I actually find that like tours that I'm working on are much less stressful because they, you know, the responsibility doesn't fall on like my shoulders as much. Um, like I'm sort of just there, you know, like to, to do the functional things like counting merch and selling merch. But, um, yeah, people forget that the crew, you know, is the most essential part of, especially as bands get bigger and you stop doing things on your own. You know, like I am willing to bet that Metallica doesn't go anywhere without a very specific set of people working on their mm -hmm. stuff, you know, because they trust them <laughs> so much. Um, and like truly, I was like, the amount of like bands that I've gotten to work for and people that I've gotten to meet, like I, I was very much so just a fan coming into all of this, like someone who loved heavy music and loved, you know, the, the spirit of it and the essence of it. And, you know, coming up and being able to like play with some of these bands and, you know, even the last, the last gig that I worked before, you know, the entire world sort of shut down was I, it was on a cruise ship and I did lights for hell. Yeah. And I was guitar teching for of mice and men. And it's like, if you had like told me that, you know, when I was in high school, like I would have absolutely not believed it or, you know, anything like that. So, just the the opportunity to see it from so many angles and um, to truly come in like I've fallen into everything that I've done, like completely, you know, ass backwards. Um, and so to enter basically everything that I've done that way and like come out of it with some semblance of knowledge of what I'm doing and <laughs> stuff like that, you know, I. I'm just very grateful for the experiences that I've gotten to have. And it's got to be, it's got to be insane. Um, when you're behind the merch table, do you, is there something that is a pet peeve for people behind the merch table? Like the people that ask for a certain shirt and then they try it on and then hand it back and say, well, actually I don't want it. Like, is there something from a merch standpoint that's just like patrons don't realize, but this really gets up our gears. Uh, to me, the biggest thing, and I think everybody knows this, it's just really how many people are like aware of it. But the biggest thing to me is like drinks on tables and mm -hmm. stuff like that. When I have, you know, like merchandise on display, like I have vinyl records on display and you know, like, cousin Tim who had a little too good a time at the show tonight wants to like buy a shirt. So he sets his drink down on like the records and then bumps the table or whatever. Um, so it's really just that part of it. And there are certain things that, that get obnoxious, like 
sometimes people genuinely have like no clue what size clothes they wear. And that <laughs> kind of baffles me. Um, because I feel like as an adult, you usually like, you know, I, like I wear a large, sometimes I might get an XL if the shirt, you know, I feel like would looks like it needs to be bigger. But for the most part, I know what size Gildan t-shirt I wear when I go to shop for one. Um, so it's always interesting to me that people are like, you know, or they'll like ask what size I think they should get. And I'm like, I don't know. How do you like your shirts to fit? How do you, um, but I, I try and be like the, and I'm not always successful. Um, but I always try and be like the antithesis of just like the grumpy merch guy. Cause I understand how many of these, you know, kids are like terrified and frightened to, you know, like come up and ask for things or just stuff like that. So I always try to make sure that people know that like they can just look and if they don't find something that they want to buy, they don't have to, you know, feel pressured into like spending that money that they don't want to or anything like that. Um, but yeah, re really just like drinks on tables and at packed shows, people will try and like, like they'll get backed up against your table and then they're like, well, I might as well sit on this, you know, <laughs> so they'll just slowly kind of just like lean against it and then it'll turn like more and more weight will get like applied to wherever they're sitting. It's just like, I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love <clears throat> you hit your, you hit the nail on the head with the whole, you know, as a as an adult, I think at a certain stage you know what size shirt you wear. I really think it is. I've been to shows and I've seen someone go um, and, they and it's no disrespect to them. They're clearly a large, maybe an extra large and they go, "Can I yeah. can I have the small, please?" And you go, "Yeah. What the?" And they put it on and they put it on and they go, it doesn't fit. No shit, man. You're holding us all up. Yeah. Because you think it's a changing room. <laughs> like, fuck. Um, yeah. Or even just, you know, and like, you know, whoever, anyone can literally wear whatever they want to wear. But I'll see kids, you know, that are like four come up to the table and they're like, yeah, can I get this in a 2XL? And I'm like, are you like, is it a blanket? Uh, like sure <laughs> now let's go back you know what you know you you're slinging merch and also there's a period here where you you know join enterprise earth for a while playing slapping the bass um how'd that come about and why such a short stint because you're in there uh with the band during patient zero uh, recording, I think, if my memory serves me correctly, but you weren't in the band for that long. So, how'd you join, and why such a short stay? So, uh, and it's funny because this all sort of like ties back to that that very first like tour uh, that I did because the guitar player of Demolisher, which is of course the band that like asked if where I volunteered uh, for them to use my my van. Uh, he was joining Enterprise Earth, and at the time I was still in the Cambion and, you know, like, just started really the idea of, like, oh, I could, you know, be touring, like, more seriously. Um, and so when, when you're, especially at that point in, like, your life and your career, people make, like, I don't want to say, like, make big promises, but people are, like, 
oh yeah, I got like this project hooked up with X and X and it's going to be, you know, this super sick thing, like, and you should get in on it. And so when he like asked me to do it, um, I initially was sort of just like, oh yeah, you know, and then pigs will fly just like (laughs) everyone else that has sort of like, uh, brought this up, but then it, it really came to, you know, fruition. And funnily enough, Dan, uh, Watson used to like play shows. Like I used to play shows with his old local band, like way, 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 even before infinite annihilator and stuff like that. And we never knew each other. Um, but it was, you know, we had been in the same venue, like selling the same pre-sale tickets, like multiple times. Um, which is just like a funny little, like weird piece of history, but yeah, Cliff like at, said they were looking for a bass player and asked me uh, to do it, and I was like, "Yeah, you know, I that's literally what I wanted was, you know, to be in a, a touring deathcore band." Like, uh, so we like geared up to do, and, and I only ever like like you said it was a very short like tenure. I only ever did the like the first tour. Um, but we, we, I had been on tour, like, I think trying to think of what month that was in, I want to say it was in August. So I was on tour, like almost all like six months before that August. So six out of like the eight months of the year. And I was getting like a pretty good handle on things. Um, and that tour, uh, and I, you know, like love and appreciate everyone who was in that band at the time and the work that they like put into it. But like that tour was just sort of a very like stressful and like messy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally I was going from doing that tour to flying in and tour managing the Browning on another tour. Uh, and so coming to the end of the Enterprise Earth Tour, um, I was kind of just like, you know, I don't think that I fit very well in this, like, this dynamic. Like, it just wasn't a, a situation that made me, you know, feel like I was going to have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and that's no slight to anyone who was involved with it at the time. Like, I just have... And I acknowledge that I have a very different, like, just sort of, like, jive than a lot of people. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of something where I was like, this doesn't seem like it's going to be a long-term, like, good situation for me. Uh, And I think literally besides Dan, that everyone else from that lineup is also no longer in the band. So it sort of makes sense (laughs) yeah and it's probably a wise thing like you you need to have the dynamic and as you know from being in bands but also doing things with bands on the road whether it's the tour managing side the merchandise side you know the dynamic is very important and also your happiness is important and if it doesn't feel like it's really meshing it's the right thing to do rather than push it through for another year two years being miserable the whole time yeah and they like they had someone that was like closer to them and made more sense like for them to because the thing is like 
me and the other guitar player were in Chicago and like the rest of the band, I, like Dan was in Virginia, I think at the time. And then the rest of the band was in Washington. And so it just made like a ton more sense for them to uh, have, you know, someone who was in the Washington area and was already, you know, a touring bass player to whereas, you know, I really wasn't yet at the time. Um, and then it was literally on that next, like that Browning tour that I was tour managing that I got asked to like play, play my first tour with the Browning later that year. So it was all just sort of like, it all really happened like that year. I, I started 2015, you know, working at my uncle's liquor store. And then in December, 2015, I was playing bass for the Browning in Europe. So, <laughs> <laughs> and Browning was, you know, at this stage and still today is, is a name that was known. Um, you came in right in the middle point, you know, there'd been, there'd been some EPs, but there were two major out releases under yeah. the belt. Um, you're obviously you obviously got along with the guys beforehand and you're obviously a fan of the music so it must have felt like an easy transition to becoming part of the Browning unit yeah it was so this you know and I know that like the universe works in very odd and chaotic ways um but like the poetry of it is really you know almost astonishing because like, long story short, this guy that I went to high school with, who's still one of my best friends today, like, I, you know, I was in his wedding and everything like that. He was in a band straight out of high school called Serpents from Chicago uh, that did, like, two tours ever. Uh, and then he quit and became a chemical engineer, and now he doesn't deal with, you know, being in a band. Um, but one of those tours was with the Browning like mm. it was you know one of the Browning's like first tours in support of like burn this world and that was how I had heard of them and uh like a couple oh maybe a year later uh like him and I went to a show that was happening you know like in in the city uh and because of him you know like I got to meet these guys and just started like hanging out with them when they were in town and I would, you know, like I would bring them like care packages, you know, like snacks and water and stuff like that. Anytime they were coming through, uh, and just, you know, like it, it was something where I was like, I want to give the, like give these people a home for the day sort of vibe. And I did that with other bands too, but it started like with, uh, with the Brown. Uh, and it just led to a very casual friendship that led to them, you know, like asking me to go on tour with them. And then there was an opening and they already knew that they liked touring with me. Um, so they just asked me to do it because uh, that's 10 times easier than finding some other, you know, random that you don't know that you like living in within one foot of. Um, and yeah, that was just kind of how it all played out. But yeah, I literally was nothing more than a fan of the band at the beginning of that year. 
It's crazy, man. And there, uh, you know, the band, like you said, you join and you're touring Europe, and it's a band that I don't know whether everyone realizes, but the Browning is a name across parts of Europe and America and stuff. You know, it's a touring band, a heavily touring band, a uh, lot of lot of tours, festivals. Um, did you feel any sense of expectation and uh, anticipation? becoming part of the band? Um, I sort of did, and I, I didn't. Like, I think that I... That's a good question. Um, it, it was sort of all, like, I definitely don't think I truly processed it, like, at the time. And when I, when I joined, it wasn't, like, a luxury period for the band, it was very much so like time to sort of like hit the grindstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with how much like after, cause we, I think we did, no, I only ever did one tour playing bass for the Browning. So we must've just done that European tour. Um, and after that, it was pretty much like time to write the next album. Cause it had already been like two years since Hypernova had come out. Um, and so it was really just like a, you know, like, oh, this is weird. Uh, and I still get it today. Um, even especially when we were on tour and like playing the older songs, you know, playing the songs off the first two albums that I like, I had this CD in my first car, you know, ever. And here I am on stage, like playing that in the band. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's specifically like I know this is sort of like off off tangent, but there was a a show that we did on the last tour that we did where the Browning had like been supposed to come to Montreal in Canada a few times and it never happened. So the band had like never played the city eight, nine years of its existence. Um, and so that, that was on the ginger tour that we did in 2019. And for that day only we put in like bloodlust, we put in a super old song cause they had never, you know, the, the city had never seen the band before, even though we we're on our fourth album. Uh, and I remember playing that there and just being like, wow, this is really like weird because I watched them play it in a bowling alley in Portage, Indiana, you know, not very long ago. What about um, what about for you? You know, you mentioned in there the switch over to guitar and, you know, the writing of uh, the next album, which was Isolation, the first album you were a part of. Was there in the Browning a sense of, you know, this this has to be, um, I was trying to think of what style to call it, dance core, I think you call it, or electronic mosh. I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, was, yeah, um, was there pressure to deliver that style continuously? So there there definitely is in a way, um, and that's sort of what the, like, Cause there have always, there's bands that do metal and, you know, there's bands that do electronics in metal, but there's never really like 
at least at the time, there's plenty now. Like, obviously, everyone has, you know, electronics now and synths and stuff like that. But at the time, there wasn't a band where it was, like, both at all times. You know, like, there were metal bands that had, like, electronic parts, like Attack Attack and stuff like that, um, and those sort of bands. But they didn't present it in, like, a metal way. Uh, and that was sort of like Johnny's goal was to successfully sort of integrate it uh, to where it doesn't feel like, oh, this is a hokey, like, techno dance part thrown into a song. Um, he he really likes them to, you know, like make sense. And because that's he does all the all the electronics are our singer uh, Johnny. Um and I I went down there like it, to Kansas City. I drove down uh, and spent, I think, like a week at the time just sort of like gr- going through things and helping him figure out songs. And um, but it, it is it is difficult because we have those songs like Bloodlust and Pure Evil that are like the dance songs. Um, but, but I find that he has just a magical way of like working it all in and working it all together. Um, but going into it, yeah, I mean, I had no idea. I still can't like, I have a MIDI keyboard, but I still can't create anything on like the level, you know, that he does. And he has even his like side project, uh, like dead set is like a you know like post malone style like electronic r&b thing that he does so he's constantly just like pushing it out but he he knew specifically that europe you know like european and like that's what they call you know european hardcore and hard style music that there's no one in america doing that so it's just like, well, I'll just work it into, you know, what we're doing. And when he found out via, I think I wrestled a bear once, he figured out that he could run, you know, like run tracks live. Uh, and it wouldn't take like nine keyboard players to do what he wanted to do, that he could really, you know, take it running um take it running with the band. And I feel like, especially you listen across like all four albums, the development of and maturity of the electronics in the music, like really just like grows, you know, they become less like, Oh yeah, here's a dance part. And they really start to like carry the emotion of the songs. And yeah, but I think it's important. Like you said, you know, the maturity and the growth in the sound, you can notice it. Um, and you can notice it, especially, I think, on the last album you guys have released, Geist, in 2018, you can notice the maturity the most. Um, how were those two albums, Isolation and Geist, for you guys? I know you toured like maniacs, as you guys tend to, off those albums, but how were they received overall? Were you pretty happy with uh, fans' responses and all of that? Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing that you just... You never know, uh, being anyone who's releasing stuff, you know, whether it's music or a book or like you're putting out, you know, podcasts or videos or stuff like that, you never know what's going to 
stick. So like you mm. can put out an album that doesn't stick and it doesn't necessarily mean your band's over, but it means that you got to go back and your next album like has to be an absolute banger if you do that, you know, or like bands will put out uh, like an album full of new songs and then they go on tour and they only play one of those new songs, you know, or two of those new songs because they the they know that their fans don't want to hear like whatever it may be, you know, and so that's what we were very concerned about is like, will this stick beyond like, okay, now the sophomore album, like the follow up is gone. So that means that, you know, like this is the fan base and this is the, you know, who we're building this foundation off of. Um, and as we started, cause I really had no idea like what to expect. Like I was a part of the patient zero release, but I definitely did not do the work for that like album. You know, I didn't like it. I wasn't there for it's like conception and like guiding it along into being a fully produced and released, uh, thing, but like isolation, I was there, you know, literally living in this house in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, like working out the songs with Johnny. So it was something where it was like, man, I hope that people like, you know, give a shit about these, <laughs> these songs. Um, and the first, the first tour that we started playing stuff on, I think, I think it was the Rings of Saturn like tour that we did with Lorna Shore. Uh, and the album wasn't out yet, but like people were vibing on the new songs and we were noticing that there were, you know, videos going up on the new songs and that like the music videos were doing, you know, way better than they had ever done like before. And we were able to get via the wonderful help of Spine Farm Records, um, because they are, you know, obviously a massive step up from like what we were dealing with when the first two albums came out. Um, so like having a real budget to promote things and make music videos with um, just really helped, like, I think, push us in front of a lot of people that, you know, weren't necessarily watching out for something like us. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, like I, and I might be biased because I worked on it, but like, I think Geist is still like perfect, you know, as like a Browning album. Um, and not to say, you know, that the new stuff isn't going to be like even better. Um, but it was really just like the sort of like maturing that we wanted and it was an album where Johnny was like, well, let's just do what, you know, whatever we want, because who knows, this might be the last one we ever make anyway, you know? So it was like, we weren't afraid to like, okay, well, we're going to go ahead and put, you know, we're going to put another rap part on the album. And this time it's not going to be from a metal singer, you know, it's going to be from a full on rapper. Um, and just, like putting you know putting singing in songs we had never done that before like very minorly uh but we had never had a song that was just like a full singing chorus 
Uh, so we were really worried when we put Final Breath out that people were going to be like, uh, this is garbage, but it, you know, <laughs> it's stuck. And that is just the, like, the biggest thing that you can ask for in, like, musicians playing new music is, like, people hearing you play songs on stage and then asking you, you know, like, where can I listen to that song? And that's what you want to be like grabbing people with. And like, it was, it was always my goal. I don't know how much it is like anymore given the like current state of the world, but I just wanted to tour like all the time. So I was happy to, you know, load up and play guitar as many nights as someone wanted me to show up and play guitar. Um, because it was just always what I wanted to do. So I had no problem. Like I, you know, I've taken a lot of flights. <laughs> I've taken a lot <laughs> of flights and I've driven a lot of miles. Um, and it was just what, you know, what felt right. Like we should be doing at the time. And, you know, like the guys songs, we played those on three continents, you know, like, and I don't know how many countries and to see that people all over the world, you know, resonate uh, with those songs. And especially we get a lot of people that ask for the old uh, songs. And unfortunately, those aren't on Spotify or really anywhere due to like the situation with uh, Earache Records. Um, but like the fact that, you know, like riffs that came out of my brain resonate with people all around the world like is nuts to me so yeah you you've touched on a lot of things and one thing you mentioned is something i noticed the other day um i have isolation and geist in my spotify downloaded and then i was like hang on i haven't listened to the other stuff in ages what is what can you say is that ever going to see the light oh, i mean i i can say whatever anything. okay so what is what is going <laughs> on with the old music because as you said you with spine farm now the old stuff was earache you have fans of old and new but you have fans of everything and we can't hear everything the band's done on spotify what's going on um so basically what it is and i don't know how much of it came down to just like sheer pettiness and how much of it is you know like whatever situation that Eric has with because they're like they don't even have a distribution at this point I don't think and if you know if I'm wrong about that I'm more than willing to correct myself on it but basically uh we I think we had one more record with them like do uh and this was before like we even started writing isolation uh and like johnny had found a way to like get out of the contract and he executed uh you know that and like i think when they saw like you know what we were doing with spine farm and what we were doing uh numbers wise that they legitimately just decided to pull the catalog uh, one day because it's not, you know, they, they pulled the, the music videos with millions of views. Uh, they pulled everything, you know, Spotify, like Apple music, stuff like that. Uh, 
uh, and now the people and the, the funniest thing about it is they were never paying the band, you know, like extraordinarily anyway. So they're only really shooting themselves in the foot by not having this content that there's clearly a demand for. Um, but then they went as far to, you know, like block us on Instagram and then block anyone who talked about us on their Instagram uh, and stuff like that. So we pretty much just figure that uh, likely, you know, unless I think Johnny said something about like trying to get the rights for the albums, like potentially being willing to buy the albums, like the masters off of them. I don't know the entirety of that situation. Um, but yeah, it, it was really just a thing where, you know, one day they started pulling stuff off the internet and then they started blocking anything to do with us or anyone talking about us. Uh, and they, you know, have never returned to those two. And it, you know, the thing is like, I, in order to do a cover, I literally torrented it, you know, I illegally downloaded it. Uh, and like, you know, they, at this point they're depriving just the fans, you know, like we don't want to go back and listen to our old albums a bunch of times. We want the fans who loved that stuff to be able to go back and listen to it. Um, so yeah, you know, I don't know if they ever will come around, but I hope they do. Um, and I hope that it can be resolved in just an adult way because, you know, at the end of the day, like, what are we really doing here? Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just something where, you know, they didn't like that we went another way with it and they like, they pulled the catalog, which they own it. It's their right to do that uh, if they want to. But at this point, it's, you know, it's just them depriving our fans of <laughs> of some things well look i mean it, it's it's childish and petty and also from everything i've heard from other bands about the label that behavior from the label doesn't surprise me they that that's yeah well i yeah i also i worked for oceano too so i had you know I have vast experience. <laughs> yeah, I've had Adam on the show, and Adam told me stuff as well. It's it's it it is as you said. It it's it, they are shooting themselves in the foot, um, and they are just depriving fans. They're not they're not punishing you. They're punishing fans. Um, yeah, no, I, and I mean, luckily, me being me, like back in the day, I I have probably like in just retail value i don't know like probably like three grand worth of cds that i bought <laughs> when i was in high school and stuff like that you know like just racking up ten dollar cds over over time uh and so i luckily still have like both albums but yeah it's just something where you know it's really like it's dumb to see especially these days where things should really just be so simple uh it should just be something phone call fixable but uh you know you know you gotta you gotta bring both parties to the watering hole before you can drink so hopefully one day we'll see those those records back again well you're like me as well i have both copies still on cd and i am one of those people that every time i get a cd i still rip it into mp3s for my computer so i still have the mp3s yeah. on my computer as well so so the the craziest 
thing, uh, and I don't think I don't know if we ever got an answer for this, which is even like m- more hilarious. Um, but in we went to China in 2019, and like we had a, a tour manager, you know, who was from there uh, to just sort of, you know, to speak with people and to get us through like the days. And we showed up on the first day and he whipped out like 15 copies of Burn This World. (laughs) We're like, where did you get those? And I don't know if he ever told us where he got them, but I was just like, man, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) He was stockpiling. He was stockpiling everything just for that day. Oh, yeah, he knew. (laughs) He knew what was coming. Um, You know, you mentioned, you know, about Geist and... um, the process for it and a lot of extensive touring while you could, you know, a lot of touring that you did. Um, now my question is what's going on now? You know, unfortunately, you know, the world has kind of gone to chaos in many sense of the word. I'm using quotation marks there, but um, yeah, you, you guys <laughs> obviously have a lot of free time on your hands Um So I'm wondering, are you guys in the process of doing new music? And then the reason I ask that is because, you know, there isn't a lot going on. So I understand the Browning social media wouldn't be busy, but it seems like the Browning social media is very quiet considering how busy other bands are on their social media. So what's going on with the Browning at the moment? Um, so interestingly enough, we we were literally, uh, like, and I'm pretty sure I knew even before like we left that it it wasn't gonna happen, but we were literally like driving to a to start a tour when America shut down. Um, so like I literally went and picked up the rental van. I drove the eight hours to Kansas City, uh, and then we had like basically a 24 hour drive from Kansas City to Los Angeles uh, to start the tour. Jeez. Uh, and as we're driving, we're just watching this situation, you know, continue to unfold. Uh, and we were already like pretty aware of it, um, just cause Johnny is very tuned into like what might go wrong at any given moment. Um, and, uh, so like we get, I think like 10 hours out, we get to Denver and we slept, uh, you know, slept at a truck stop in Denver And the next morning we wake up and it's just like, you know, everything is like no gatherings over 50 people, like blah, blah, blah. And so even before like the tour got officially canceled, we were like, we're just going to we're going to (laughs) go. So we decided that morning to just turn around and our merch guy honestly put it hilariously because He's like, so you're telling me I flew all the way to Missouri to drive to Denver to get Subway to come <laughs> home because <laughs> that was all we did was we ate Subway at a truck stop in Denver and turned around and drove 10 hours back. And then I drove eight hours back home to Chicago. Um, but I, the reason that the social media is probably massively quiet right now is because when it's not quiet, it's usually me posting everything. Um, and I've just like throughout, you know, the entire year of 2020, uh, I've been like just very focused on other things and there isn't much to, you know, like update people on. 
Um, and we are like Johnny's been cranking out uh, new songs and new songs for his project and stuff like that. Um, but we all live like in two of them are Johnny and our bass player Colin both live in the same city. Uh, but our drummer lives in Nashville and I live in Chicago. So it's like not a, a mega easy thing to do to like collaborate. Um, but in addition to everything going on, uh, the tour that we were supposed to be on, which was supposed to be with, uh, Carnifex and three teeth, um, that was going to be like our, not not last tour, but like last tour for a while because Johnny, uh, Johnny just had his first child. Uh, and he wants to be, you know, like mega present, obvious and rightfully so, um, for all of the firsts and for having his first like young child. So we were planning on taking a big break from the road anyway. And it just sort of worked out to where everyone else in the world also had to do that. Mm. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he's been like steadily cranking away. He's on his Twitch channel all the time, like writing music, um, and just, you know, bouncing ideas like back and forth. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't have like a date or a concept or anything for you, but like, I wouldn't be surprised to see like new music from the band this year at some point. Fuck yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, the reason the socials are quiet is because I literally do it from my phone. And if I don't do it, I don't think anyone does. <laughs> and I've just been doing like other things in the, you know, the passing year. Um, and like, you know, like I said, before we started, like I, I run socials for uh, Ormsby guitars and like doing my own thing. So I spend a lot of time on my phone as it is. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that much like, you know, I'm used to getting information. There will probably be a lot of information suddenly out of nowhere. Hmm. Um, so if I had to guess, I'd say that's what to be on the lookout for. Well, one of those things you've been doing is the bathroom sessions or is it the bathroom cover sessions? Oh yeah. Yeah. I got uh, bathroom bangers is what I call it. <laughs> yeah. That that's it. No wonder you're bloody busy, man. Forgetting to post on the Browning social media because you're in the bathroom, bloody writing riffs and doing corn covers. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's the only <laughs> the only place to effectively, you know, showcase it. I don't know what made me want to do that either. Like it was just something where I know from running the Ormsby socials and like having a tip jar and stuff like that on tour that alliteration just works you know just doing things with the same first letter <laughs> and i was like does anyone play you know do covers in their bathroom because ola england i think did like uh, he did kitchen covers where he like played songs mm. in his kitchen while his family was like setting up dinner and stuff like that and so i just kind of got inspired by that idea and i was like i'll do very sloppy covers with the <laughs> You know, like they can be sloppy because it's in a bathroom. So like, I'll just do guitar covers and film myself in my parents' bathroom. I love it, man. I love it. Um, now, one one thing, a couple of things left to cover, but one thing that I definitely had to cover was, you know, you and Adam of Oceano 
um, have linked up and you're doing something called the Super Slam Brothers or Bros. And yeah. one song, one song released so far called Illegal Illegal Dino Racing. Um, I love it. Um, <laughs> I've, I got shits and giggles out of it. But I also love the fact you're calling it Nintendo Core. I uh, couldn't stop laughing. Um, I love, I love that it's you and Adam linking up. Um, Adam's such a legend. Um, previous guest, uh, big shout out, a lot of love to him. Um, what's the go with, with that? Is that something that you guys are going to release an EP for? Or is it kind of just something where you're going to drop a single every now and then? And um, what was the idea for it? Who came up with the idea? So like, this is another super, just like kind of falling into my lap thing, but like earlier this year, like without getting too far into it, uh, just like with some like differences, you know, the family like that I lived with, I was like, I, you know, I can't stay here. Uh, and I, I could like, I wasn't getting kicked out, but it just wasn't like good for me to be staying where I was. And so I hit Adam up and he was very, very gracious and like, let me, I ended up crashing on this couch, uh, in 2020 for like seven months probably uh in his uh apartment in salt lake and so one of the ways that i was able to you know just sort of like pull my weight was like if you want you know videos like edited or shot or whatever it's for your like twitch channel and you know like if you want to make some music together whatever um and one day i was just like working uh working on something on my, my laptop uh and he like wanted me to call it something ridiculous like i like goomba raid or something like that like just nintendo <laughs> themed uh and he got the idea of like doing metal songs about you know nintendo stuff because obviously he has the whole like black mario world and universe um and so I just won. I was like, I'm like, yeah, well, we can call it Super Slam Bros, you know, like Super Smash Bros. But uh, and it, you know, it has literally just been like. Just silly idea after silly idea. And I was because obviously, you know, like Nintendo core, the genre specifically like bands like horse the band and stuff like that mm -hmm. like from back in the day is very different musically from like what we're doing but we're like it's literally deathcore you know and it is nintendo themed so we're like it makes it makes all the sense in the world to just call it nintendo core um and we definitely um have plans to do more and like i have like probably a couple demos written um but that's sort of like the lovely thing about it is you know we can sort of like let it lie until we have something to do with it um and like we just have some friends in salt lake uh they're they're in a band called amaris uh that they run a studio uh and so i i you know, went over there and like tracked guitar in one day. And then Adam went over there on another day and like wrote the vocals on the spot pretty much like wrote all the lyrics on the spot. Uh, and we tracked the vocals and we were just like, Hey, this is something that we can do 
that can literally, you know, there's no pressure to do anything like a certain way. And we can put whatever we want on the songs. Um, and yeah, we just like found a way to make it exist in his like Twitch channel canon. Uh, and we like filmed some skits for it and stuff like that. Um, and we had some amazing help uh, in people, you know, like who did the the artwork and making that happen uh, and the logo and making that happen. And we just got lucky that I can't believe no one came up with that name before me. <laughs> That's what I was prepared for that to like already be like a meme video of someone's, you know, like I'm just metal about like nintendo and to have it not there when i searched for it i was truly like shocked <laughs> but yeah again like long story short i'm not really sure like when the next thing will be but i'm pretty positive that there will be more super slam bros uh at some point Ooh, yeah bring it bring it whenever it happens bring it um Right, what we're going to do, we're going to wrap things up, my brother, with a segment called Pick Your Poison. Uh, we've, had nearly okay. we've had nearly 150 guests. We're a little bit shy of that. Everyone's had this same segment at the end, including Adam. Um, I give you two options. You pick your favorite of the two. Now, you don't need to justify your answer, but if you're worried that someone's going to pick on your answer... You can, justif you can justify it. You have the time okay. to justify it. So, first off, we're going to start with food options. Now, for you, all the food options are vegan because you're a vegan. So, imagine Ooh, it's a... I love that. I love the research. Okay. So, pizza or a burger? I just had pizza tonight, so I got to go pizza. Okay. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian. Okay. Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? I love both of them. I'm I'm going to go controversial and say crunchy. Ooh, okay. Um soft taco or crunchy taco? I'm also going to go controversial and I'm going to say soft taco. Ooh, I I like that controversy. That's a nice one. Um coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay. Uh, cook at home or dine out at a restaurant? Oh, that's hard, too, because I really love, like, being lazy. Uh, I'm going to say cook at home. Okay. New movie comes out. You're going to watch it at the cinema or you're going to watch it on the couch at home? I'm going to wait till it comes out at home. Okay. Spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? There's snow outside right now, so I'm going to say spend the day at the beach. Okay. Cat or dog? I got to go cat. I know that's that's one that people feel very... And I, like, absolutely love both of them, but I am just such a cat person. PlayStation or Xbox? I'm not really a gamer, but back in the day, the first system that I ever bought myself was a playstation 2 so i'm going playstation okay batman or superman batman's way darker i gotta go mm. batman uh terminator or predator 
I'm going to go Terminator uh, because no one in Predator was the governor of California. <laughs> Good answer. Uh, Rambo or Rocky? Uh, I'm going to go Rambo. Freddy or Jason? That's tough too. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Freddy because I've always wanted to die in my sleep. Okay, that that <laughs> was dark. That was dark right there. We just hit a dark moment. <laughs> um, South Park or Simpsons? Uh, that that's super hard too because I feel like South Park is obviously more culturally relevant, but The Simpsons has predicted everything. And it's in its, like, 4,000th season, so I'm going to go with The Simpsons. Uh, Anchorman or Step Brothers? I feel like Anchorman is just so quotable. I know Step Brothers is too, but there's so many, like, good Anchorman memes. Um, corn or Limp Bizkit? <sighs> I got to go Limp Bizkit. Ooh. Um... Manson or Rob Zombie? Uh, as far as like, as far as who the, like the bigger, like Marilyn Manson comes to my mind first because he seems like the bigger lasting impression. Uh, but Rob Zombie's so much better, like as a performer right now. So I'm going to go with Rob Zombie. Slipknot or Machine Head? I'm going to say Machine Head. Ooh. Nice. I, I figured I I got into Slipknot like kind of late. Mm -hmm. And I really loved the blackening by Machine Head. So they stick out like as a bigger influence to me. Uh, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Oh, that's... I tell you, just because uh, Brandon Ellis just got his guitar announced with Jackson, I'm going to go Black Dolly Murder. Um, okay, last few. You're playing a show, and let's imagine that anything goes. Do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Um, I always, like, when I was younger and wanted to be in bands, I specifically remember watching... The DVD of a day to remember playing like this super small bar show in their hometown. And there was mm -hmm. just so many stage dives. And I was literally like, I want my shows to be like that one day. So I'm going <laughs> to go with stage dive. Um, you're going to a show. Are you going to watch it from the sound desk or are you going to watch it from the center of the pit? It depends on what year it is because right now I'm in as an adult i'm absolutely watching it from the sound desk um <laughs> but i was you know i'm mosh retired now but i was like quite the quite the mosher back in the day now the next one the second last of this list is one where you need one to go with the other but let's imagine that you only need itself to exist and it will make sense when i ask it would you rather tour for the rest of your life or just record music for the rest of your life? Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with 
touring just because mm. like and and as as much as like you know i'm literally looking to actively tour less like after this i think that there's just something you know even if i did one tour a year until you know my body literally won't do it anymore like there's just something so cathartic in like being on stage and playing a set whether it's you know like a browning set to a couple thousand people or you know even just like bar gig style like there's something about getting on stage and playing that is more important to me than the songs themselves and the last one i'm going to give you your all-time favorite album do you want it on cd vinyl or on your phone I literally have it on all three of those things. <laughs> um, I'm going to go again. I feel like the most close to home answer for me would be the CD. Cause that's how I like listened to music. But as far as like being able to play it in five years or 10 years, I'm, I'm just going to go with, with the phone, the MP3. Because theoretically, as long as the device works, I should be able to listen to that song. Yes, spot on, brother. Um, Brian, thank you for this. Um, Thank you for taking time out for me. Thank you for giving your time to me. It means a lot. I really appreciate this, respect you for this, um, and love you for it. It's amazing. Um, It was relaxed. It was in-depth. Um, enjoyable. Um, it was great to shoot the shit with you, man. I really, really enjoyed this. Yeah, dude. Uh, this was definitely, you know, a fun one. And I really appreciate, you know, that like you, you asked very interesting questions and, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. So I'm, thanks for having me and, you know, very, very grateful. We'll have to do it again sometime. Oh, definitely, brother. You know, next time you have some music news, whether it's Browning, Slam Brothers, anything, um, I'd love to have you on again and pick your brain about other things again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll stay in touch. Um, thank you again. Thank you. You're a legend. I, I love doing stuff like this, so thank you, man. Oh, thank you, brother. You're a legend. Um, have a good rest of your night. Yeah, you too, man. Take care. Uh, later.
curse Anybody run up, no effort to put them in a hearse One touch, no challenge, need a patch, no balance No match, only malice, I need purpose Always searching, I got blood in my vision Unstoppable killing, no call me a bomber No, there is no option, there with no walking Don't have a heart, and I am the enemy Rip you apart, I'll die a king But part of me just wishes all my fallen dreams Would come to life, so come to strike Don't care to play this
So that was my chat with Brian of the Browning. At the end there, you heard the band's track Carnage, which is from their most recent album, Geist. Second track you heard was Pure Evil, which is from their album, Isolation. And the last track you heard was called Standing on the Edge, an absolute banger from a banging album titled Burn This World. Now's the part of the show where I get you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation at the end there, now's your chance. Get online, stream it, download it, listen to it. If you're into physicals, get onto eBay, grab yourself a CD and a vinyl. And lastly, if you like merch, make sure you help the guys out. Grab yourself a hoodie, a shirt or some shorts. I've got to take this moment to thank Brian again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. Look forward to chatting again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 148. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.